Welcome to the LetterTech Lab. LiDAR launches with LetterTech. Hello, everyone. Welcome to LetterTech Lab, a LetterTech podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. And folks, thank you so much for listening to another episode of LetterTech's podcast. Uh, if you'd like to listen to previous or upcoming episodes of the show, you can go to LetterTech, L-E-D-D-A-R, Tech. Dot com. Uh, you can find podcasts, articles, videos, blog content, and a variety of other information about LetterTech's services. You can also find this podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Make sure you're subscribing on there, and you'll be pinged with the most um, updated episodes possible. So on this episode of the LetterTech Lab podcast, we're going to get an in-depth understanding of what will be guiding autonomous vehicle innovations and technology, as well as use cases over the next several years. And of course, we're also getting some perspectives on how LiDAR technology is becoming essential for reaching true autonomy. We're going to break down what that means, what true autonomy even is, and get a full scope of what the autonomous vehicle solutions are today, where they're headed. For insights today, we're getting a perspective from Pierre Olivier. He is the chief technology officer for LetterTech. Pierre, how are you doing today? Very good. Thanks, Daniel. I appreciate you joining us and giving us your expert insights on this. Just for a little context on where your experience is being drawn from, uh, when did you first start to work with LiDAR technology and uh, how has your work in LiDAR technology shaped your perspective around its use cases? Well, uh, well, first of all, I joined, uh, I joined LiDARTech. 10 years ago. So uh, I've been I've been personally involved in LiDAR and in developing LiDAR technology and LiDAR products for quite some time now. So certainly for us, uh, automotive uh, applications are a very, very large part of our business model. We live and breathe uh, LiDAR. And that's, that's what I've been doing for the last 10 years. Fantastic. Well, all of that uh, decades worth of insight is now going to give us a better understanding of how LiDAR is supporting autonomous vehicle technology. Uh, so let's start by better understanding how to define autonomous vehicles and I guess where they fit based on their use case and based on their functionality. Often there are operational design domain parameters, um, otherwise known as ODD parameters, that set limits on and define how autonomous uh, an AV, an autonomous vehicle, is. So could you break down for us what those main operational design domain parameters are, definitionally, that set limits on and define how autonomous uh, a vehicle is? There's various uh, ways that you can you can scope, not scope down, but define the scope of the uh, of the uh, the ODD. Could be, for example, specific use cases. For example, uh, divided uh, highway uh, from like on ramp to off ramp would be a specific ODD defined on a means or a method of driving. It can be specific uh, geographic area uh, for example around a uh, for example a technology park where a shuttle is is uh, picking 
passengers and moving them from building to building can be combinations of uh, also uh, different, uh, could be times of day, could be weather conditions. So the definition is very broad, but typically type of road, like uh, geographic uh, and weather conditions are probably three of the most common ways to, to define the ODD. And these ODD parameters are important in the first place because they help chart the course for different levels of autonomous driving capabilities, which have been defined by the Society for Automotive Engineers. And those levels go from level zero, which defines um, a vehicle with no driving automation, all the way to level five, which would be defined as complete automation with no expectation or a need for human intervention. So could you break down for us each of these levels and how they build on each other and expand the scope for autonomous vehicle solutions and also uh, give us some context on how uh, these AV levels are being applied in practice in the market today and how widely their technology is available. Uh, we'll start with level zero and work our way up. So yeah, starting at level zero, first of, first of all, it's important to, to like read the proper term uh, Autonomous is really, it's, it's vernacular, but, uh, if you read the SAE spec, uh, it's really driving automation that we is the, is the appropriate term. Uh, cause even what full autonomy is, uh, there's a very large discrepancy in the different, uh, interpretations. But if we start at level zero, level zero is really no driving automation. So, uh, the driver performs the, the entire, what is called the dynamic driving task. So basically the driver is controlling the longitudinal uh, the, the speed of the vehicle, they're controlling the, the, the lateral, so the heading of the vehicle. Uh, and so they're, they're basically, they're taking care of everything. They may be enhanced by active safety systems, like for example, uh, a lane a departure warning system, but still that would be, con that's like safety features are not considered to, to increase or to define the, the, the automation level. It needs to be the, the, uh, sustained driving tasks. So level zero is no automation at all. From there, you move to level one. And level one is what we call driver assistance. So these are systems that can either control the longitudinal, uh, so the acceleration, or they can control the heading, but not both simultaneously. So the most, one of the most widely known, uh, level one features is, uh, adaptive cruise control. So where it typically uses a, uh, a radar to, uh, adjust the speed to the, to the vehicle ahead, but controls only the acceleration. So that, or the braking. So that's a level one feature. And it's important to say feature because like in the, in the SAE spec, the levels apply to features. They don't apply to the whole vehicle. And from then, uh, you move on to level two, uh, which is uh, defined as partial driving automation, where the uh, dynamic driving task, both the longitudinal, the longitudinal and the, uh, the lateral uh, control are performed by the uh, automation system. So, for example, it, but the what the important point about level two is the driver is responsible for the object read the detection and response what we call the OEDR, so object and event uh, detection and response, which is basically knowing that the uh, vehicle takes the right 
decision uh, and that there's no obstacles in front of the vehicle. So that's level two. Uh, and typically, if you look, the most most commonly known today is really like the Tesla Autopilot uh, or also the Cadillac Super Cruise. Uh, so these are level two systems where basically the car drives itself in a very specific ODD, for example, on-ramp to off-ramp during highway driving, but you're responsible to make sure that the vehicle takes the right decision. So typically in these level, in, at this level of automation, there's a driver monitoring system uh, that ensures either that you keep your hands on the wheels uh, or on the steering wheel or that you, you you look at the road and don't like wander off. Sure. Uh, so that's level two. And that, so really level two is what's commonly deployed today for, for passenger cars. And and basically at around level two is where uh, most of the at scale deployments stop, right? Three, four and five um, are still being refined and not quite being produced at scale. Is, is that correct? Correct. So, so at this at this point, it's important to define. So, there's no passenger car today that uh, has any like level three or above features deployed. Level, if you look for, uh, however, at most, like uh, for example, autonomous driving or automated driving uh, development programs, like for example, uh, the Waymo uh, program. These are uh, typically level four, or they aim to develop level four level functionality but they're not passenger car programs they're really, they're they're either shuttle or uh, robo taxi development programs so they're they don't they don't yet aim to deliver passenger cars for consumers so if we continue with level 3 then level 3 is what's defined as conditional driving automation which is what the, the beginning of what most people think of when they think of automated driving uh, is really where the car drives itself under a specific ODD, but uh, during that, as long as you're within that, that the, the constraints of that ODD, the car can fully drive itself and you can, you can move on to other tasks. You can do, you can do email, you can do uh, read books, you can, you can read, you like watch movies and, and the car will tell you if you need to take over. So uh, there's no there's no need to keep your eyes on the road, and that's really where uh, you can start seeing really also some of the some of the implications of that is basically at this point you're not driving, you're monitoring the vehicle. So even the liability aspects of what happens uh, if there's a if there's an accident become more more blurry, and that's where that's where also some of this impacts the uh, deployment of these features so certainly no passenger car today has uh, level 3 features the closest we've had uh, is the uh, audi uh, a8 uh, where uh, audi was committed to uh, to bringing it to uh, bring in uh, level 3 functionalities to market but they've since uh, recently announced that they wouldn't be uh, pursuing that and then from then on, you move on to level four, which is high driving automation, where basically at this point, you don't even need to be there to intervene if the, if the vehicle does not, uh, or cannot manage the, uh, the situation, the vehicle. You're at that point, you're a passenger. So really the car technically doesn't even need a, a steering wheel. It needs to be able to handle all conditions. So for example, if it detects 
that for example there there's a high like fog uh, and it cannot see ahead then the vehicle needs to be able to safely stop pull over like a, a human driver would so basically you, you never need to get involved into the driving uh technically at this point you don't even need a driver's license so as as i was mentioning most robo taxi programs uh aim to to deliver that level of functionality and then from there on the the re- end goal is level 5 which is the same so uh, but in all conditions so at this point you're not no longer defined uh, or constrained by a, a, a specific ODD, uh, the car can handle uh, every situation that the uh, that the the road or the conditions throw at it uh, without uh, like ever ever needing to stop. So basically, it will it will go through all conditions, all destinations. So that that's really the end goal of uh, driving automation. That's called full driving automation in the in SAE terms. Perfect. Thank you so much for giving us all that context. I know that was a lot there. So. Looking at basically levels two and above, or I guess just above level two, right? Three, four, and five. How far away is the market from those higher tier autonomous vehicles, at least uh, for consumer grade vehicles or for logistics or transportation solutions? And uh, why is there that amount of distance, however much you think there is? Well, for that, that, that's a very good question because there's two answers. Uh, for uh, consumer solutions certainly if you uh, if you look at where the the different uh, industry analysts look at it today we're probably still a decade away from from rehaving economically viable solutions for for a number of reasons uh, the cost of the the cost of the hardware but also the complexity of building the uh, the the artificial intelligence uh, solutions to handle all conditions and the re, what we call the, the regulatory or the liability wall, which is basically will these, who has the liability for this, uh, and what happens if there's an accident? So that need basically the whole model of how even you insure your, your, your car, uh, needs to be, uh, redefined to, uh, to a degree. So these are probably still a decade off from significant deployments. However, if you look at the, the level four, fleet deployments both for for robo taxi or for goods uh like uh, delivery uh long distance trucking uh, these types of features uh they're probably much closer because the economic model is very different because you're you're replacing a driver uh so the the cost of the uh, the the hardware can be uh, amortized uh, uh, very rapidly and you can define specific ODDs. You can also imagine having fleets or, or a staff of uh, teleoperators to handle the, the different conditions. So we're much closer to this. If you look at, uh, like, for example, what uh, the, the different pilot programs in, in, in California where they need to report the, uh, the number of disengagements. Uh, I mean, the best of them are at, at more than 10,000 miles between disengagements. So effectively, uh, the vehicles can handle pretty much all conditions for this specific ODD, which is like a specific cities in California, but it's still, it's, it's very good 
progress. So it's it's that's why it's it's important to separate the two because otherwise, uh, like everything gets blurred between the low speed of deployment for the passenger or consumer solutions uh, and read the leaps and bounds that the the technology developers are, are making. Let's go ahead and loop uh, LiDAR technology into the conversation. Um, this is you know, where uh, your experience really shines. So I'm looking forward to getting your thoughts on this. But what is the function of LiDAR in general for supporting autonomous vehicles today? We'll get into the specifics of deployments at each level. But just in general, is LiDAR an essential piece for the autonomous vehicle applications of the future? Is it considered uh, kind of a mainstay technology yet for AV? What are your thoughts? Well, uh, first of all, LiDAR-like cameras and like radar, uh, all like these sensors aim to fulfill the, the object and event uh, detection right. uh, functionality. So, so basically they're there to, uh, so that the vehicle can have complete perception of the, uh, the environment. Uh, so that's where certainly uh, you get uh, some of the, some of the, the discussions as to uh, is uh, lidar uh, necessary for example because uh, i can i can drive with uh, with my eyes what uh, and and that's that's where we what what you need to to, to remember is that uh, well two things first of all the eye and the brain are have uh, tremendous capabilities that that read the cameras and the onboard computers are not even close to matching so that's that's uh one of the and and they're not they're not near matching so that's one of the one of the elements the other is certainly we're aiming we're trying to make autonomous driving or automated driving better than the human so certainly although the like uh, human driving is uh, remarkably safe the, the number of uh, deaths uh, has plateaued so we're no we're no longer making improvements in in driving safety in for the last probably 10 15 years the number of deaths uh, on the road is remaining remarkably constant uh, which means if we need if we want to keep improving uh, safety we need to find uh, other means and really that's where no sensor is uh, addresses uh, all uh, all requirements cameras are very good for example for long distance uh, small object recognition uh, but they can only approximate the the distance to the uh, to the object so they don't provide the 3d measurement uh, radar uh, provides a, a distance measurement that can range at long distances it's very good uh, in different uh, environmental conditions but it only has a very coarse resolution typically it can only discriminate very large objects uh, which is why typically it only detects movement and not not the absolute presence of objects that's a that's a resolution issue. So certainly lidar bridges the the gap between the the two. So it offers it's an active solution. So it offers more robustness than cameras in conditions, for example, where the camera would be blinded by the uh, the, the, the direct sunlight. Uh, it's more robust in fog and in, in, in rain, but it still provides substantially more resolution than radar. Uh, so that's where we, most uh, experts uh, agree that all three 
solutions are required. Uh, and that's why you see that all, for example, all robotaxi programs, they all include like large quantities of all three types of sensors. It's to offer that, that reliability of detection. Uh, now, the only obstacle so far to LIDAR has been how do you commercialize it at low enough cost and high enough volumes. And that's where really cameras and radar have the uh, the head start. And that's where the different LIDAR manufacturers are trying to bridge that gap. For levels two and above, an essential piece of technology, at least based on uh, what I've heard from other professionals and uh, when I visit trade shows and I'm looking at the bleeding edge technologies that are supporting autonomous vehicles, LIDAR always seems to be a piece of the puzzle. So can you give us some context on how LIDAR technology is already being received by uh, the engineers and the innovators in the space and how it's being used for those higher tiers uh, to expand those applications and get us closer to, uh, I guess, true autonomy? First of all, it's very well received by the certainly the scientific community because every, as I said, every autonomous uh, driving program for the last close to 15, more recent DARPA Grand Challenge has had LIDAR or various types and, and quantities of LIDAR uh, installed. Uh, and why it's a key is because it provides really that, that 3D point cloud uh, that you can that you can process to do the uh, the navigation. So uh, really, I think for level four and above, uh, there's no question. Uh, I, I don't think anybody's challenging that 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 lidar plays a, a key role, uh, both because it provides the, the 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 robustness of detection by combining the attributes with the other sensors, but also the reliability. So uh, there's always a possibility that one or several of these sensors will fail on the vehicle. And if you remember, at level four and above, you need the vehicle needs to drive itself in all conditions. So that includes hardware failures. So you need redundancy. So really the true question is, do you need LIDAR for level three? Because certainly for most level two features, I think the, the, the solutions today show that, that, that cameras are probably, camera and radar is probably sufficient. But certainly if the, the jump to level three is you need to make it robust in all conditions. So certainly that's where the only level three or close to level three vehicle that was that was in production, the uh, the A8 uh, had uh, lidar uh, on board. But uh, so certainly our position, and obviously where we we were we're a lidar manufacturer, but we think that for level three and above, you need one or several lidars to achieve the uh, robustness of detection, but also the independence to ensure that you have the high uh, reliability necessary. What about for the lower tiers, which the needs for autonomous technology are not quite as robust as when you get level three and above? And obviously levels zero, one and two might use LiDAR technology, but don't necessarily have to run LiDAR technology at its full capacity to get some use out of it. So how do those lower tiers benefit from LiDAR technology? And do you see uh, more sophisticated LiDAR creating more competition among tier one and tier two vehicle OEMs that are already mass market consumer vehicles? 
I contend that most people, uh, although they buy uh, level two features today, uh, in reality, what they'd want is level three. So really, if you look at, for example, some of the accidents that involve uh, level two cars, is what you realize is people are creative. So they find they find ways to operate these things uh, while they tend to, uh, to to other activities. Uh, and that's where the problem lies, because certainly in the definition of level two, the driver is re is monitoring the road so they're overseeing the 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 driving so but but really indications are what people really want is level level three so certainly uh in the meantime you have people trying to position better level two so what you what you're they're 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 calling different names such as level two plus uh but really what this means is can we make level two good enough uh that it becomes it morphs into level three. That's almost the uh, the way uh, the way I see it. But uh, in 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 our view, certainly, until you get you you address both the uh, robustness aspect uh, and the reliability aspect, then uh, you're always going to have the issue of not being able to do that three that. That switch. So we to trying to continue or to do better level two uh, with camera and radar only is is just it's it's pushing the problem like further ahead, but it's not it's not addressing the issue. So uh, lidar, if 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 you really want to deliver something that's like functionally level three, no matter how you you define it, uh, then you're going to need to uh, industrialize. Uh, lidar, and I think there's been significant progress made, and they did. There continues to be significant progress made, and uh, like indications are, we're not we're not too far off from that being uh, feasible. And then there's also the component of how lidar might affect transit and logistics applications for autonomous vehicles moving forward. Uh, at any of the tiers, what are some of the B2B opportunities that you see LiDAR enabling for future uh, AV applications? The the whole robotaxi industry is is clearly one of them. So if you if you if you rely on the level of investment that's being made, uh, and probably the closest to to providing significant volume for LiDAR, uh, the uh, the the logistics. Uh, be it the long distance trucking or the like last mile delivery, for example, the re- the robotic delivery uh, of like, for example, food and and goods uh, is one of the 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 applications that that's uh, had a lot of attention lately with the whole uh, COVID nineteen uh, situation. So that's probably one where it's the same thing. The the business model is easy to make. The requirements are relatively uh, well known. The feature set might be might be limited, but you need something that's extremely reliable uh, and needs to deal with the different conditions. So it needs to deal with the the skateboards on the uh, the, uh, the the sidewalk, and it needs to deal with how do you get from the the sidewalk to the user's uh, front porch and so on. So that's at at the same time it seems like a constrained problem, but it's a very complex environment and one where certainly having a true three D 
endpoint cloud can help uh, solving or, or delivering the uh, the functionality. So we think these types of applications have very high potential in the in the short to medium term. All right, Pierre Olivier, that about does it for our conversation today. Uh, do you have any final points that you want to communicate here before we wrap up the podcast? Anything on uh, how LiDAR is going to continue to impact autonomous vehicles, um, outlook for approaching any of the, quote, you know, true autonomy, unquote, levels? What are your thoughts? Uh, well, certainly, if you go by the activity in the LiDAR front, uh, I think the best is ahead. Certainly, there's been there's been significant innovations, but I think there's much more that that we can foresee in the in the short term. Uh, some of which we're working on, but but certainly some some which might be completely new uh, new inventions. Certainly, all the all the activity is uh, indicative that it is it addresses a true need in the uh, in the uh, in the market uh, and in solving they were untangling i should say the the whole the whole problem of how you deliver true uh, autonomy so true true high level automation uh, and certainly we're continuing to work with our partners and our customers and and bringing these solutions and offering our, our doing our, our our part in 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 making the industry better so so certainly it's very exciting times to be in this uh, in this industry and in uh, specifically both in the automated driving industry but also specifically in lidar uh, because there's so many opportunities that uh, it really becomes where do you focus but uh, the sky's the limit all right thank you again for your insights today again we've been chatting with pierre olivier he's the chief technology officer for letter tech pierre thank you so much for joining us on the podcast and if people want to find out some more about uh, LetterTech's LiDAR applications in the autonomous vehicle space, where can they go to find out more? Certainly, they can go to www.lettertech.com. We're always uh, pleased to, uh, to have uh, discussions with the various innovators and inventors that are trying to, uh, trying to change the world, and we're trying to change the world with them. Fantastic. Pierre, thanks again for joining us on the podcast. My pleasure, Daniel. Have a good day. And thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of LetterTech Lab, a LetterTech podcast. If you like what you heard and want to listen to previous episodes, as well as learn more information about LetterTech's LiDAR applications in autonomous vehicles, uh, you can go to LetterTech.com, again, L-E-D-D-A-R, tech.com. And you can also find LetterTech's podcast, LetterTech Lab, on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Make sure you're subscribing and leaving a comment wherever you listen to your podcast content. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. Till next time.